For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. Farm workers in New York State won some very basic rights in 2019 with passage of the Farm Workers Fair Labor Practices Act. Those rights, which the New York State AFL-CIO has been fighting for for years, include the right to organize a union, a mandatory day of rest, and the right to overtime pay. The overtime pay portion of the new law took effect in January of 2020. So as of then, farm workers are now paid time and a half for work over 60 hours per week. But the law also established a wage board to consider reducing the overtime threshold below 60 hours per week. In New York, the state wage board determines how many hours employees work before they get paid overtime, time and a half. Right now, for ag workers, it's 60 hours a week. Joining me on the podcast to talk about the overtime threshold is a member of that wage board, Dennis Hughes. Dennis, thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Darcy. And I want to point out to our listeners, too, uh, I want them to know that you're the former president of the New York State AFL-CIO and a decades-long champion of farm worker rights, and we appreciate your commitment to fighting on behalf of farm workers and, and all of workers. Thank you, Dennis. Well, thank you. It's uh, been 10 years uh, this month that I uh, retired from the AFL-CIO. Yeah, time goes quickly, doesn't it? <laughs> it really goes fast, yeah. So, Dennis, um, you're a representative for labor on the wage board. Can you talk about what the board was tasked with and what your message was to the board? The board was tasked with figuring out a solution to the concept that the farm workers have a 60-hour wage threshold where every other worker in the state of New York, uh, basically every other, I think there's one or two exceptions, uh, has a 40-hour threshold. In other words, after 40 hours, the worker uh, receives uh, time and a half for the work that they do, anything past an eight-hour day. Mm -hmm. If they're listening to repetitious uh, testimony from the farm community with very few voices from farm workers. I think we had like about maybe a thousand instances of testimony, both written and uh, in person uh, from farmers and about three or four, maybe five from uh, farm workers. Uh, We were asked to make a determination and uh, take a vote on a resolution. And uh, the resolution initially uh, placed by the uh, board itself, by the chairman of the board was to extend Uh, the status quo, the 60-hour status quo uh, indefinitely uh, because of the issue of COVID and other uh, prevailing uh, issues at the time. And I changed that. And what what I did was uh, suggest that we have a 10-year phase-out of the 60-hour phase-out of the 60 into a uh, 40-hour work threshold Mm -hmm. with gradual increments uh, as we went along. In other words, the first year, I don't know exact, but it, it was something like every other year we reduced the threshold by a, maybe an hour and a half till we got to the two and a half hours till we got to the point where it was a 48 hour week. Right. So you're just going to ease into it, essentially. Yeah, we're going to ease into it. And, uh, you know, one thing, and I think it's a good time now to kind of explain why we decided to do that, or I decided to do that. Because I proposed it <clears throat> was because you know as you mentioned in the introduction I've been doing this for I've been interested in farm workers for maybe thirty or forty years from the almost from the beginning of the time 
that I uh, became involved in a labor movement. Uh, we went back to the great boycott in the 70s and way back to Cesar Chavez. And, and uh, I, you know, I've actually, I actually got a chance to meet him and know him. And, uh, you know, it became like a very important issue that all workers should have the same uh, equal right to dignity as workers, and they should have the same rights. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, the farm, the farm farmers, their argument has always remained the same, that it was unique uh, industry, uh, unlike no other, that uh, that's why they should be exempt from this and on and on. And every year for the last 40 years, they've had the same argument. And today, I read an editorial in the Daily News, and it had the exact same argument, Darcy, mm -hmm. uh, as they've been doing for the last 40 years. But the truth of the matter is, farming has changed tremendously over the last century or so, last 40 years, at least the last 10 years. It is total. The mechanization of, of farming today is, is incredible. A friend of mine owns a farm in Pennsylvania, and recently I was there he has a part of it that they planted feed corn and this giant machine came in giant. I mean, like, like it looked like a three-story building hmm. and, and it was a truck driven by one guy and one guy was running this giant machine and the machine ran back and forth on this uh, maybe 10 acre particular field, 10 acre field. And in about maybe a, a half hour, was done. Mm -hmm. uh, Ten years ago, it would have been a bunch of people out there, you know, cutting down the, the stalks, ripping off the husks. You know what I mean? Right. So the industry has changed tremendously. And over the next 10 years where we, as we propose this, or I propose this moving forward, the industry is going to be much, much more technically oriented, much more mechanized. So the arguments that the farmers are using about, uh, you know, the manpower issues, the uh, you know, the unique nature of this applies to a will apply to a very small amount of the farms. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll they'll uh, apply to, you know, uh, tomato farmers and berry farmers and maybe some fruit farmers. But those uh, those in those end of the industry will be mechanized as well. So. The arguments that they're, they're putting forward uh, is, is losing its strength with time. And, uh, you know, this the whole thing boils down to here is an industry that wants a particular exemption that makes them unique from any other employer in the state of New York. Mm -hmm. Employers with, with the same considerations, with, you know, with uh, peaks and valleys like retail and restaurants. All these other uh, very high risk areas where people have peak seasons, mm -hmm. and they want an exemption that nobody else has. And from a, you know, from a um, practical point of view, it shouldn't be granted mm -hmm. uh, because it puts the other industries at a disadvantage. And uh, so that, in a nutshell, I hope I haven't gone on too much no, about I, it. No, I see what you're saying. I mean, every other industry has had to adjust. They've had to make those changes. Um, farmers have been knowing, you know, things are, are changing all along. Like you said, they've changed oh. their, with their technology, but not in their ability to pay their workers fairly is what we think. And I, you know, you, you mentioned something about hearing all of this testimony from the farmers and not as so much from the farm workers, but is that because of just that concern of speaking out? Yes. In a nutshell, yes. I mean, if you don't have a union, if you don't have 
a mechanism to safeguard uh, some degree of free speech, you're not going to utilize it. You know, I mean, in, in all works of life, that's the case, but particularly in farm workers, because, you know, you're very vulnerable. You're, you you got to realize that farmers are uh, in parts of the state are the biggest, most powerful group of people there are. We don't really, you know, if you live downstate like I do, you don't really get that. But they're very important players in their, in their towns. A lot of them are elected officials, uh, you know, assemblymen and so forth. You can see today that. Uh, a lot of uh, assemblymen and, and state senators actually are, are ex-farmers or have come from farm families. Mm-hmm. You know, the the farm community is very, very powerful. It's a very, very powerful lobby. So, you know, if you're a farm worker and you come from sort of a disadvantaged background to begin with, whether it, you're new to this country or whatever the situation is, or you're a minority group or whatever it is, you don't have that type of confidence to be able to state your case without uh, some fear of retribution. And uh, that's the issue. And Dennis, I know you mentioned this, how long you've been involved in this fight. I know um, a couple of decades ago, you were out visiting farms and you and, and our president, our current president, Mario Salento, was with you as a staff member at that time. And he's told me the stories and how that impacted him, seeing how these farm workers lived and hearing their stories. Um, what what do you recall from that time when you when you visited those farms? Well, I, I, the first thing was uh, housing. You know, uh, Mario will tell you that the issue, we went and saw these guys in the afternoon and the evenings, and we went home with a few of them and to their families. And, you know, a lot of them had housing on the farms. And the housing was dreadful, <laughs> absolutely dreadful, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, it was, I, I, we went with two, uh, uh, two elected officially, chair of both uh, – uh, uh, labor committees in the Senate and Assembly, Kathy Nolan in the Assembly, and Nick Spano in the, uh, at the time in the state Senate. And the four of us, Mario Salento, and I think someone else is with us from uh, the other labor. There was uh, maybe six of us, and, and uh, you know, to see this. And we sort of showed up unannounced because we didn't want the farmers to, uh, you know, prepare for our visit, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the housing was a big aspect of it. And uh, the fact that the whole family was sort of involved in it in one way or another, it was almost, uh, it was a throwback to like the uh, early 20th, 20th century, maybe late 18th, maybe late 19th century, the way these people went and lived. It was about 22 years ago, I guess. And, uh, you know, that and how powerless uh, the farm workers were, uh, how you know, they had, they really had no voice. Uh, they had no recourse. And uh, that, that was something that stuck with uh, all of us that day. And in fairness, I mean, that was quite a while ago. And, uh, right. you know, hopefully the, those conditions have changed. But I think also in fairness, probably what hasn't changed is if you're living where your boss, you know, where you work and your boss is there. And so that ability to feel comfortable to speak up, that does, you know, still exist. Yeah, well, you have to realize the exposure that we saw that particular and, and that particular series of visits led to a lot of the uh, voluntary uh, correction by the farmers themselves because they couldn't take that type of scrutiny, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe that wouldn't have changed if we didn't show up there, or maybe it would have. But what hasn't changed is the powerless nature of being a farm worker, mm-hmm. you know, without having a voice. And and uh, if you look at 
uh, today, you know, uh, every so often you'll see a, a press opportunity and there's always like a farm worker saying how much he likes working 60 hours a week. <laughs> right. Or, or before we had uh, the day of rest, we'd have a, uh, some farm worker saying how much he liked working seven days a week without a, a day off. And it was always like there was always farmers standing next to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. A microphone, farmers standing next to them. You never really, you never saw uh, an impromptu uh, farm worker uh, voluntarily Mm. walking into uh, a television station saying, gee, you know, I really like working seven days a week with no days off and no overtime. You know, yeah. you never got that. And people don't look at it that way mm-hmm. uh, because it's so it's staged and it's staged in such a uh, uh, productive way, such a, a efficient way that people think that uh, it's uh, farm workers are happy in this condition. No, and sadly, what they want is the additional money, like like anyone would, but not to have to work yourself to death to get it. We heard some of the farm workers testify to that in at some of the public hearings, and uh, New York Now revisited that recently. Last year, Bersane Vasquez, a dairy farm worker, said money couldn't replace time with his family. You know, it's a heavy job, difficult. Waking up every morning at 4 o'clock in the morning is very difficult. And at night, get out of work tired. And I agree to reduce the threshold from 60 to 40 hours. That's um, right. Does, it, you know, it, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's, it's just parent. Right. You know, it's just, it's just fairness farmers today. You know, they're, they're big, by and large, big farms. We hear them, the, the small uh, family farms, but most of them, are in the Hudson Valley boutique farms that are next to or near large municipalities where they can avail themselves of the farm to table movement, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's different, but majority of, of profitable farms are giant or uh, giant operations with lots of money invested in land and, uh, heavy equipment and, you know, all the, all the aspects of it, uh, advertising, marketing, all the aspects of a large business. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Dennis, what's going to happen? What's, I mean, we're at the end of the year already. There's a few weeks left. Um, that's when a decision has to be made, right, From the um, as a result of the wage board. I mean, what, what's going to happen? How do you see this playing out? Well, our office still stands. My offer, the offer that I brought to them still stands, and that, that is a, a uh, stretch out, a 10-year uh 10-year stretch out of this it gives the farm work the farmers an opportunity to to adjust their their uh business plans to meet the new reality of of uh complying with labor law but you know what are the realities of it this isn't we're heading into a statewide election year the farmers have a very very strong lobby as we saw last time around uh if if they have if they do schedule the meeting the uh of the wage board meeting, I will be there. I'll make the same proposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see uh, the representative of the Farm Bureau voting differently. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the chairman, the chairwoman, is going to uh, vote differently either. Well, it seems 10 years is a reasonable amount of time for sure to give the farmers time to adjust. I mean, they've had a bunch of years already, that's for sure. They've had, they've had you know, since uh, what labor... Labor standards is, uh, what, 1930s? Right. That's 90 years, mm-hmm. you know, almost 90 years. So uh, uh, 
you know, they've had a lot of time to adjust, but, you know, they they haven't. They think they have a right to uh, have a different take on on uh, employment and uh, standards for employment that the people that they hire. So, uh, you know, they 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 have a tradition of not uh, not being uh, very innovative in this particular uh set of issues so i don't really you know uh, Darcy, i've been doing this a long time i i i will just leave by saying this that you know uh, farmers have uh, the farm bureau has an opportunity to really work with uh, the labor movement and the advocate for farm workers to work out something that works for them as well as works for the for the uh for the farm workers themselves but I don't, I think that they're going to resist it. I think they're going to keep fighting for the status quo, and then eventually, over time, they're going to something is going to be forced on them that they don't like, and that's not really the best way to handle this. Mm-hmm. But that's what they should expect if they continue to uh, be non-cooperative when it comes to uh, uh, straightening out this long-term labor relations embarrassment that is the fate of farm workers. Right. I mean, none of us want to see farmers fail. We want them to succeed. We just want there to be uh, fairness for those workers. And Dennis, I can certainly hear the frustration in your voice. Um, I can hear the passion on the you have on the issue, too. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us about it. Um, I know we'll hear an answer soon in a matter of weeks, but thanks for uh, talking to us today. Well, it's, it's, it's very nice and generous of you to have me on uh, so I could vent like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It's been a, a very long uh, couple of years, I know, with this and, and the, you know, everything's standing still because of COVID. And now here we back. We're back here again at toward the end of the year. And, and it is frustrating. So we're glad that you were there, though, for the voice of labor. We do appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Joining me on the podcast is our digital director, Kevin Eitzman. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Darcy. Boy, he did sound frustrated, and I don't blame him. This has been going on long enough. Yeah, I mean, he he has been living it his entire career. He was there with uh, Cesar Chavez. You know, uh, we have some pictures upstairs in my mm-hmm. office, actually, of, of him meeting with him a number of years ago. And, and one of the things that, you know, we, we don't talk about in this uh, episode, but is the cornerstone of, like, in the 1930s, when the NLRA was passed, they specifically left out farm workers. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason that they don't have this threshold is that farm workers and domestic care workers were right. left out of the Labor Relations Act. And that's because they were migrant, immigrant, mm-hmm. minority communities. Right. And here so we this, are. How many years later? You know, it's still it, not being treated fairly. Almost a century later. Mm-hmm. You know, we're coming up on a century later and they still don't have the same rights. This is a, a legacy of uh you know, racism that that is still there. And Dennis has been fighting it and Mario has been fighting it and it's been making improvements all the time, but we still have these hurdles left. We still have, uh, you know, 40 hour work week left. And, and on a positive note, I mean, we are, we did get this, uh, the labor, the farm workers Fair Labor Practices Act passed. Um, that was in July of 2019. Gave them the right to have a union. And um, a little shout out to RWDSU Local 338. They organized farm workers for the first time in the history of the state of New York out at a vineyard in Suffolk County. Absolutely. So that gives them the voice. And I'll guarantee they're not going to be the last uh, to unionize. So that's good. No, where we, I think we have a wave of, of future organizi- uh, organizing campaigns going forward. And it's going to be 
a big moment where, you know, we can actually back and protect these workers as they speak out, you know, so that they can have a voice at the table. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Darcy. Thanks for listening to the Union Strong podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State unions strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong.